Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. So this morning we are in the middle of a series, we're actually wrapping up a series that's called The Growing in Grace. And in this series we've looked at different disciplines and different practices that have been, excuse me, different practices that have been practiced throughout time and disciplines that have been practiced throughout time that reveal the gift and the grace of God and that invites us into deeper relationship and connection with God through those practices. So we've talked about generosity and gratitude. We've talked about (laughs) obedience and submission. And this week we're going to talk about self-examination and confession. Now, I know that when we use those words, self-examination and confession, we can start to get a little bit uncomfortable because the idea of confession, the idea of sin, the idea of confronting sin feels uncomfortable to us. And I think that that has a lot to do with the way that we view God and the way that we see God. And what I want you guys to experience this morning is a change in our minds around who God is, how he sees you and me, and how he wants to confront the sin in the places of brokenness in our lives and how he wants to use these tools, these graces of self-examination and confession as tools of healing, restoration, and new life in our lives. That actually confession is something not to be dreaded, but it's something to be explored and it's something to be entered into daily and it's something that brings joy and new life because God is near and in relationship with us, creating us into be more and more like him and in his image. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at these two disciplines, the self-examination and confession. We're going to see how the world deals with these things, and we're also going to bring the Bible into it and see how we as Christians, as believers, deal with these things just a little bit differently. And so if we begin with the first discipline, which is this self-examination, when we think of self-examination out in the world, we could summarize self-examination as, if I know thyself, I can lead thyself. So you can put that up there. This is how the world sees self-examination is, if I just knew myself, I'd be able to lead myself. And the more that I know myself and the more that I lead myself, the better person that I can become. The idea is that if I just knew myself better, I would find the truth of who I am, and I'd be able to better walk out and name my own truth in the world. We see people do this all the time. I'm living my own truth. I'm speaking my own truth. I'm living in my own truth. Whatever I define my truth is by my own self-examination. This is how the world deals with self-examination is that at the end of the day, we believe that the answers to life are buried within inside of us somewhere and that if we just reflected and examined ourselves enough, we'd be able to arrive at truth on our own. But last week, what we saw is that for the believer Truth has been revealed outside of us. That truth is not found inside of us, but truth is actually revealed to us by a generous and gracious God who gives us his word and who reveals himself and puts on human flesh in in his son named Jesus, who comes and says that he is the word, that he is the word of life, that he is the word of truth, and that he's come to dwell with us. And then he gives his Holy Spirit to come and dwell and live within us. So truth isn't found in us through just enough self-searching, eventually I will arrive at my own truth, but rather truth is revealed externally, and we invite him to come and dwell within us through the Holy Spirit. And this is where self-examine actually begins, not with better knowledge of the self, but it begins actually with a deeper understanding and relationship and intimacy with God. Now, when we choose to not submit ourselves to obedience to the word and to the truth that's been revealed to us, we choose to ignore those things, we're left with our own truth. And that's where the world's at. So it's no surprise, right? It's no surprise that the world is left with this place where they're trying to find truth within themselves because they've rejected the truth that has been revealed to them. And they've said, I'm going to go and find this thing on our own. And so when we go out and we say, you know what, truth is within me, and I'm going to reject the truth that's been revealed to the world through God's word and through Jesus, what we end up finding is that we find our own truth and our own wisdom. And the thing is, is in our own truth and our own wisdom, there's a lot of places that share the truth that's been revealed to us. Because God's truth is truth, 
in its good, in its big, in its holistic. And so we, as we experience life, stumble across some of these truths, and we begin to name those truths for ourselves, and we add that to the square or the box that is my truth category. But then there comes a place where we're confronted with the truth, and we can say no to that. And when we say no to that, what we're essentially saying to God is that, God, my ways are higher, and my thoughts are higher than yours which is actually the exact opposite of what Scripture says. Scripture says Scripture confronts the reader, and it confronts Isaiah, and Isaiah says, Whoa, God, your ways are higher than my ways, and your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And that's where we begin as the believer. The believer begins not with a deeper understanding of who the believer is, but it becomes a deeper understanding of who God is and how God is inviting us into deep, an intimate relationship with him. And so we see the heart of this discipline of self-examination where we do life with God, where we invite God in to know us more and to reveal us the true heart of who we are and how God has made us. We find the truth of this discipline and this practice in Psalm 139. I love Psalm 139. It's one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible. And we're just going to read some, some cliff notes from Psalm 139 that shows us how God knows us, how God wants to be intimately connected to us, and how God wants to reveal to us some of the defects of our hearts so that he can heal it, and so that he can bring transformation to it, so that he can bring new life to it. So Psalm 139 begins with this. He says, O oh Lord, you have searched me, and you have known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You know my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my laying down, and you're acquainted with all of my ways. Even a word is on my tongue. Behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Verse 13, for you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, God, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret. I was intricately woven into the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. And in your book were written, in your book were written every day. Sorry. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, as it was there, none of them. How precious are your thoughts, O God. Then in 23, he says, he finishes the psalm by saying, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me into the way of everlasting. You see, this is the heart of examination, that there is a good God out there who lovingly and intentionally made you who set before you the days of your life, who set before the good works for you to go work and step in, who, writ, who saw your life before him, who knew the words that were about to come out of your mouth and said, I love him, I love her. This is my child, and I'm going to save them from themselves. I'm going to save them, and I'm going to love them. And the thing is, is that <laughs> this God does not look us with anger and wrath. He does not look like he's going to bring the hammer down on us and judge us. But he looks at it with great compassion and love and takes on flesh to come be with us and die for us. This is the God that we serve. This is the God who we invite to come and know us and search us and reveal the things that are broken with inside of us so that he can deal with them, so he can treat them, so that he can heal us, and so that we can, can begin to walk in new life. Now, for some of us, there's this part in the passage that I read that said that he knows the words on our tongue before we even say them, or he knows the thoughts in our mind before they even come to be. And for some of us, maybe that's really uncomfortable. Because you know, and I know, that the words that are about to come out of your mouth aren't necessarily always the most pure, wholesome, or righteous words, right? And the thing is, is that that's okay to be uncomfortable in that place. The problem is, is that the thing that makes us uncomfortable is that we view that God is an angry God, 
that our God is a God who's out to get us, and that our God is a God who's about to bring the hammer down on us whenever we misstep. And so that type of knowing by a God who's that angry can be terrifying. Because we're like, God, you know the words that are about to come out of my mouth before I even say them. Like, I don't even have a chance. But the reality is that that's not the image of the God that we receive in Psalm 139. That's not the image of the God that we receive in the Bible. We have this broken image of God, a a God who is full of retributive justice, who is looking to stomp us down, who's looking to punish us. And I think that that prevents us from gaining intimacy and depth in relationship with the Father. And what I want you to know this morning is that the Father loves you. The Father is crazy about you. And the Father wants to confront you and bring new life to you and transform you in new ways so that you can celebrate him, so that you can have more continuity and peace in your life, and so that he would be glorified above all things. Because our God is a God of glory. Our God is a God whom our lives are glorified. Our lives glorify him and point to him. So what I want you to know is that in this space, whenever you're with God, and you start to feel uncomfortable because of the things that he starts to rise up in you, as you do this discipline of self-examination, where you invite God, God, come search me, know me, seek me out, and you start to get uncomfortable, that's a normal feeling because there's a reality that we're unrighteous before God, that we're not God, that we don't measure up, and that we are a person of unclean lips. When Isaiah is confronted by God, God meets Isaiah, and the first thing that Isaiah says is he becomes really aware of this disconnect that how holy God is and how not holy he is. He says, Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. And the beautiful thing is that God acknowledges that this is true, but he doesn't just smite Isaiah. He doesn't just, like, crush him. He doesn't just say, you know what, Isaiah, I can't use you. You're just a broken piece of trash. Instead, he says, I'm going to heal you. I'm going to save you. And he takes the coal and he touches Isaiah's lips and he makes him clean. He makes him pure. And he equips Isaiah to go do the work And to be the mouthpiece of God for the nation of Israel. And Isaiah becomes one of the most prolific prophets throughout the entire Bible that God uses to build the kingdom. And that's what God wants to do inside of you and me. That's what he wants to do inside of you and me through this discipline that is self-examined. What I love in Psalm 139 is the way that David closes the psalm. And he says, search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me into the way of everlasting. This is the prayer of examine. If you want to know how do I go and pray and allow God to examine me, just read the end of Psalm 139. Just read the end of this place where it's like, God, search me and know me and know my heart and point out to me all the ways that I grieve you. Point out the places in my heart that grieve you and lead me not back towards those, towards those things, but into new life. You see, for years, the people of God have participated in this discipline that's become known as this celebration, as this, <clears throat> as this discipline of self-examine. And in Richard Foster's book called The Celebration of Discipline, he talks about self-examine. And he quotes one of the early church fathers in the way that they define self-examine. And I think it's a good definition for us to use. And this is what it says. It says, self-examination is not know thyself to lead thyself, but it is the place where the soul comes under the gaze of God and where in his silent and loving presence the soul is pierced to the quick and becomes conscious of the things that must be forgiven and put right before it can continue to go out in love. For the believer, it is to go to God and say, God, reveal to me all the ways that my heart grieves you. And let's deal with those things one at a time and lead me into a new creation of being made in your image. When you use the word justice in scripture, the word justice also means the word righteous. And the word righteous means to be put and aligned in the way that God has always intended. And so when we self-examine ourselves and God comes alongside of us and he brings things up that we need to deal with that are ugly and that are even shameful at times, God's doing that not to publicly shame us, not to throw us under the bus, but to confront us and heal us. 
And it's a good gift because there is healing that's available for us today because our God is a healer. And our God is a God of righteousness, and he is the one who wants to come and make you righteous. He wants to make you as he's always created you to be. For hundreds of years, the church has practiced this discipline called the prayer of self-examine. It's called the prayer of daily examine. And so it's a prayer that you can go and take home with you. It's a thing that you can do daily. And what it does is it takes about 20 minutes 20, 30 minutes, if you want to engage in this discipline intentionally, maybe for the next week or the next month, however God speaks and reveals to you, there's this actual thing that we can do that is this prayer of examine that the church has created. And so it has five different steps to it. And what it is is that you do this prayer at the end of your day. Before you're too tired, that you'll fall asleep, right? I mean, I've been there praying, good night. But you do this with some intention and you the, the five steps of this prayer, of this daily exam of prayer, the first one is just to invite God into your day, back into your day. Allow God's presence to come in. You seek God's presence. You wait for his voice to speak. And you begin to re- review the day through God's perspective and say, God, show me. Show me the ways that you wanted to move today that I ignored. Show me the things that were ugly inside of me today that you want to address and that you want to fix, that you want to bring healing towards. And this is really good, and it's really done well with a journal, okay? So you first invite Jesus. And then the second thing is that you do is that with Jesus, you go through the day and you put on the lens of gratitude. And maybe you've had a really bad day, and maybe the initial thing, you're just like, I don't have a lot to be grateful for, God. It was a rough day. But the beautiful thing is that when we intentionally put on the lens of gratitude, what I find is that there's a lot to be grateful for through our day that we just missed. We were going way too fast. We were caught up with ourselves that we missed the grace of God throughout the day. And so what we can do is that we can go back through our day with the Father, our loving Father, and he can show us, look at my grace here. And look at my grace here. And it's not a place to condemn us or to shame us, but it's a place for us to be humbled before him and praise him. God, even in my selfishness, you were good today. You were good today. Even though I judged today to be bad and terrible and not the way that I wanted, you were still good today because, God, you are so generous and gracious throughout my day. And you can look back and see that as God reveals that to our hearts. And that kind of pushes us towards the third thing that this prayer leads us to, and that's to this place of confession. We're going to talk about confession at length here in a minute, but this place of confession is just where we just, God brings up the things that are ugly in our lives, the things that are unrighteous, that are unpure, that he wants to address and bring healing to, and we just say them out loud to him. And we say, God, I confess that I was this, 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 and this today. And then we move to the fourth step where we invite God to heal that. And we say, God, would you bring healing to my soul? in these areas of my life. And then you wrap up the prayer by saying, God, give me wisdom and grace for tomorrow. Give me wisdom so that I can go into tomorrow with more generous eyes, that I can go into tomorrow with a greater attention and awareness of your voice and your presence throughout the day, so that when we do this again tomorrow, I can see how you've begun to transform my heart and transform my life more into the image of your likeness and truth that's been revealed to me through you and your word and your Holy Spirit. The reality is is that the more that I've engaged in self-examine, the more I've realized just how broken and how sinful I've become, how sin is a disease that I deal with that I am unable to cure for myself, that I am sinful at nature. And what I find is that the more I examine myself, the more and more I just agree with the words of the prophet Jeremiah. And the words of the prophet Jeremiah says that my heart is sick and it's deceitful beyond all else. Who can understand it? And the answer to this, who can understand it? In the next verses, he says, it is I, the Lord, who searches and tests the hearts of men. It is I, the Lord, who can understand it. It is I, the Lord, who has grace and compassion and love and mercy and who wants to come beside you and bring healing and transformation to your life as these things come up. And so it's through examine that God reveals the places where we need to be forgiven. And that's a good thing. And he invites us into this discipline that is confession. 
Now, again, I think as the world views confession, that we have this kind of warped idea and perspective of what confession is. I think in the world, we look at confession, and we just think that confession is this psychological tool that we use to get things off our chest, right? We hear people say that all the time. Be like, man, it's so good to get that off the chest. Man, it's so good to just blow off some steam. And there is an element of, like, genuine confession. Of, there's some form of confession that's happening there. Like, you are extroverting the wickedness of your soul when you share these things and when you get things off your chest. But that's just where the world leaves it, is that it's just like, here it is. I'm going to throw up all over you, and now you've got to deal with the cleanup and the wreckage and all that. And sometimes the world, I don't know about you, but the world to me is not a very safe place to confess. The world is not a very safe place to be vulnerable. The world, if we do find ourselves with enough courage to confess and to vent, a lot of times judges us, chews us up, spits us out, condemns us, publicly ridicules us, and beats us down. That's the world that we live in. Because it's a dog-eat-dog world. And if you confess anything, that means that you're showing weakness. And if there's weakness, then, there's, then it's my opportunity to exploit your weakness so that I can look stronger. And so instead of confessing in our world, instead what we do is we stuff. We just stuff, stuff, stuff. And we just hope that nobody opens that closet. And the problem is, is that sometimes, eventually, someone does, and the closet comes pouring out, and lives are ruined because we never took the time to be confronted by God, the God who loves us, the God who's made us in our own image, that has the power to transform us, to be able to bring us to a place of true repentance, of true belief, and of true transformation to where we could begin living a new life, where we could acknowledge the consequences of our actions and take full responsibility of them, but not have to live in the reality and the consequences of them where we can live in a new state, a new spiritual state where we have been forgiven, where we've been healed, and where we've been set free. And so for the believer, confession is this place where our loving God invites us to confess our sins to him, not so that we would be condemned, not so that we'd be publicly shamed and ridiculed, but so that we could be healed, forgiven, set free from the bondage that the enemy wants to have on our lives. So if self-examine is this place where the soul comes under the gaze of God, where he is silent and in his loving presence, this soul is pierced to the quick and becomes conscious of the things that must be forgiven and put right before it can continue to love. If that's self-examine, then confession is this. Confession is where we speak back to the Father and in community with one another the things that must be forgiven and put right, casting off shame and guilt, receiving forgiveness, healing, and transformation with our inner spirit. That's the goal, and that's the work that confession does. Now, the only way that we get to enter into either of these disciplines, let me be really clear about this, the only way that we can enter into these disciplines and for it to be effective is through the love and grace and mercy of Jesus Christ on the cross. It is through his sacrifice where he lays down his life for the forgiveness of sins and the healing of the world that we have this opportunity to come and confess with safety and confidence that our God is good, that our God is true, and that he wants to bring healing and reconciliation to our lives. But there is a confidence, and this is good news, guys. This is incredible news because I know that there's a lot of times I walk around not confessing things because confession is not good news to me. Confession is I'm about to tell you all that's wrong with me, and you're going to have to deal with that, and I'm going to have to deal with the consequences of you knowing all that's wrong with me, and maybe there's going to be a break in relationship because your jaw is about to hit the floor, right? And we think that that's the same way with our God. But the good news is that Jesus died. Jesus came for the sake of saving sinners. You see, a lot of times we think that Jesus came to calm down an angry God, 
But the reality is it's quite the opposite. Jesus came because God loved us so much that he just wanted to forgive us. He wanted us to know his grace. He wanted us to know his love. He wanted to do that more than anything else in the world. And so he sent his son, and his son comes with conviction, and he sets his sight towards Jerusalem, and he walks in the book of John with victory as king of the world, of the universe, to the cross with intention to die for you and me so that we could be set free. This is good news, and confession allows us to tap into that and to tap into the freedom that's there. And there's a confidence that we can go before the throne of God and confess our sins. And we see this in Paul. Paul, who was a man who was out killing Jesus' followers, who was out murdering Christians until Jesus confronted him on the road to Damascus and knocked him off his donkey and said, Paul, Paul, what are you doing? It was Saul, Saul, what are you doing? And it was there where Saul was confronted through examine and was forced to confess the ways that he had walked in wickedness and unrighteousness, and where his mind was transformed, where he repented to know God. And so this is what Paul says when it comes to confession. He says, this saying is trustworthy and deserving full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, whom I am the foremost... In a lot of versions, it says, whom I am the worst. But I received mercy for this reason, that me, as the worst of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul's saying, if God could have mercy and forgive me through the cross, he can forgive and have mercy and have patience with you too. And this is good news. This is where you can put your heart, where you can bank your soul for the sake of eternal life. He says that there is joy, not sadness, when we come to this place of confession because God is about to do something new. He's about to bring transformation and healing <coughs> to our soul. In 1 John chapter 9, I mean chapter 1, Verse 7, it says this. It says, Beloved, sorry, I'm in the wrong spot. First John chapter 1, he says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. For if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is amazing news. When we confess our sins, when we're real with God, he has to forgive us. It's in his nature to forgive us. Jesus has already done the work of forgiving us. The question is, are we going to confess with our hearts and with our minds the places that we're broken, allow him to see those things revealed to him because he already sees them. He already sees them. He already knows the words. He already knows the thoughts. The question is, are you going to come to him? Are you going to allow him to see those things and be laid bare before him so that he can forgive those things and bring transformation and new life to you? We fear self-examination confession because we have this image of the Father who we think is going to just bend us over his knee. And that's just not who our God is. We must come to know and embrace the cross of Jesus, that the cross of Jesus was God's first plan to show us his love. And it's his only plan to show us his grace and his love and his mercy. And it's available and it's here for you today. And so the question is, is what does this confession, what does this process of confession look like? I gave you the process of what self-examination looks like. What does this process of <laughs> confession looks like? Well, first, it begins with examine. It begins there. That's why it goes from self-examination to confession, then to healing. And so the number one thing is that the, the discipline is this practice prayer with God. It's to be able to go to the Father and say, hey, make me aware of the broken things in my life. Make me aware of the places that I am sinful. Make me aware of the places where I misstep so that you can bring healing. Confession must also come with sorrow, genuine sorrow. There's this place where we have to come 
and say that I am really sorry and feel this godly sorrow, as Paul talks about it in Corinthians, that leads us to new life. There's an earthly sorrow that brings death and shame and guilt and creates the cycle of shame and guilt and sin. He says, don't live there. But live in this place of godly sorrow that brings true repentance and transformation and healing in our lives. The thing is, is that I think there's a lot of us who when we deal with the kind of habitual sin where we've confessed it and we've prayed over it and we confessed it and we've prayed over it, I think the thing that gets us in the way of actually experiencing true freedom and true breakthrough with the Father is that we're not actually sorry about it. There's a part of our sin that we're like, I really like it, and I'm not that sorry about it. I don't actually feel that bad about what it is that I'm doing. And I think until God comes and breaks our hearts, or we allow God to come and break our hearts around the sin that's in our lives, we're never going to be able to experience breakthrough and transformation the way that God intends, and the way that God wants confession to be able to heal us. And so there has to be this place of sorrow. There has to be this place of weightiness, not a place of shame where we just end up in this prison of shame and we don't believe that God loves us and we're all alone, not this isolation sorrow, because that's the sorrow that leads to death and that leads to where we just repeat the pattern. And this is why it's so important that we have to understand who God is and how he views us and how he loves us and how he wants to bring freedom to our lives. So that when we sin against him, there can be real sorrow there can be real repentance, and there can be real healing and joy on the other side of it. The third thing that we must do is that we must come to community. We must bring our sins out into the light in community with one another. Because our sins, we think that they're personal. We think that they're just between me and God, and that they're not affecting anyone else. But the reality is, is that every sin that I've committed has a relational aspect that's tied to someone else. If I sin in a way where I don't understand my identity in God and I try and create my identity on my own strength and power, I'm offending everyone else around me as I try and steal away from them and leverage them and use them and manipulate them. I offend their image as image bearers of Christ as I try and steal from them and build up my own strength in my own community, my own kingdom. And that's sinful. That breaks relationship slowly over time. There are more direct ones like where if I just lie to you and you find out about it, then there's a break of trust. With every sin that happens against the Father, that happens against God, there's also stuff happening in the undercurrent in our relationships. And we have to bring those out into community with one another so that we can hear the community and the people around us say, we love you, we accept you, we forgive you. You see, confession isn't just about God and his love for you, but it's also about us as the church. And it's about what he's called us to do. He's called us to the ministry of reconciliation, which means that we get to be a people who receive confessions from people and who respond with grace and compassion and love as we live out the ministry of Jesus to other people. We get to be flesh and blood versions of the love of Jesus to others. And so when someone confesses something to you, don't brush it off and say, oh, don't worry, that's no big deal. Because maybe, maybe it feels like that. Maybe somebody confesses something, and you're like, that's really small, man. But the thing is that as they're confessing it, Jesus wants to meet them there. He, they want to meet them with love and grace and embrace them. And so don't just brush it off. Say, man, I'm so glad that God revealed that to you. He loves you. Know that you're forgiven. Know that there's grace. Know that there's healing. Know that there's new life. And watch that person be transformed. We have tools to be able to love and forgive others and change the world. And it comes through the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. In James chapter 5, he says this. He says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, a man who confesses a sin in the presence of a brother knows that he is no longer alone with himself. He experiences the presence of God and the reality of that other person. As long as I'm by myself in the confession of my sin, everything in my heart remains dark. But in the presence of a brother, the sin has been brought into the life. There is freedom 
and there is healing, and there is an exchange of vulnerability and love that happens when we get real with one another. This is Pastor I was listening to you. He said, when we get real, people get healed. And that's true. That's true. Augustine says that confession of evil works is the beginning of good works. The confession of evil works is the beginning of good works. And I love that saying because it's true. When you get to the point of confessing something out loud publicly to someone else, guess what? You are in a place where God can change you and transform you, and he's ready to do the work of transformation in your life. It is a place of joy. It is a place of celebration because the old things are gone and the new things are starting to come just by you opening your mouth and saying, woe is me, I'm a sinner in these ways. And that's the thing about confession is that I think we need to get really specific about it. We need to get really specific about our sins. Because in confession, a lot of times we pray, God, forgive me of my sins, and we don't actually enter into this place of examine. We don't actually enter this place where God comes with us and reveals to us the wicked and evil things of our heart that he wants to bring healing to. We miss an incredible opportunity when we pray the blanket prayer, God, forgive me of my sins. The reality is God wants to address each one individually and bring healing and restoration to those things. So we should get specific, because when we get specific is where the kingdom of God begins to break through. When we get real, people get healed. And then finally, we must be in a place where we don't want to sin again, where we're like, we're going to actively avoid entering into that sin again. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't. That doesn't mean that we don't, you know, we're still human, we're still broken. That doesn't mean that there's a process of healing that happens, but there's this, there's this resolve that says, God, I don't want to be the person that I was. I want to be the person that you've made me to be. Continue to grow me in your righteousness. And so we fight back against those temptations. I want to share two quick stories from my life of what this really looks like. What this examine prayer and what this confession prayer, how does this look like? and real life and real practice. And then we're going to also have a testimony um, from Melissa Luther, um, who just went through this through last prayer night and over vacation. And so she's got an incredible story to tell that I want you guys to hear. So the first two stories from my life. The first one is that I was in community with a group of people, and I was just struggling through a lot of things, a lot of self-doubt, a lot of fear, a lot of needing to be in control. And it just came to light that I needed to go get prayer, that I needed to be prayed over. And so I hit up Joe and Crystal Marks in Latoya, and I was like, all right, guys, let's set up a time. Let's find a place for you to pray over me um, so that we can address some of this, like, control issues, fear issues, things that I have going on in my life that are, that are keeping me back from living into who God's made me to be. And they're like, all right. So we get together, and we're in Joe and Crystal's living room, and I just thought they were going to pray over me. I thought they were going to pray over me. I thought they were going to say some words, some nice words, some authoritative words, and that, you know, I'd walk away and be like, all right, that was great. That's not what happened. When they brought me into the living room, they're like, all right, we're going to pray. And as we pray, what we want you to do is we just want you to begin to confess things, very specific things in your life that is holding on to you, that has grip and power and authority over you, and we're going to release those things tonight. And I'm like, what? They're like, yeah, you just need to start naming some things. You need to get real as possible and name all the ugly things in your life. And they're like, don't worry, we've heard it all. I was like, okay. Um, And so we start praying. And I start confessing fear. I start confessing (laughs) the need to perform. I start confessing fear of others, fear of man. I start confessing that I false burden bear, that I carry the burdens of others when it's not mine to carry. I begin to confess how I see myself as a little child at times, and like all of these pictures and images started coming up, and they all started coming out of me, and as, we, as they came up, one at a time, we begin, began to pray over each and every one of them, and I started to begin to feel release and healing come over my soul and over my body. And I began to start to experience freedom in the following days and following weeks and months over these things that I had allowed to control my life. Fear, anxiety, worry, need to be in control, need to perform, need to have other people like me. All these things started coming out of me. And it's incredibly humbling because they're evil and they're wicked and they look gross, right? 
But when you come to a father and you come into a community that says, yes, but I want to bring all those things up not to shame you, not to harm you, not to hurt you, but to free you, for you to know my love, for you to know my grace, for you to know the reason why I died on that cross for you, there is joy and there is new life. I'm praising God for it. There is good news in confession. The second one happened this week. This week on Tuesday morning, I had a plan on how my morning was going to go. Um, slept in a little bit, and Rebecca asked me to do some things last minute in the morning, things that I could have said no to, but things that I felt obligated to do. So I decided, you know what, I'll do the things that Rebecca has asked me to do this morning. Uh, in my mind, I'm like, that just means I won't eat breakfast which is a little inconvenient, but I can deal with that. I can live with that. But as the morning goes on, things get later and later, and I've got this appointment that's set up with Shannon, actually, that's coming up next, and I'm habitually late to this meeting. I don't know why I can't get out the door on Tuesday mornings to make it to this meeting, but I was like resolved the day before, I'm going to make it to this meeting with Shannon on time. Rebecca asked me to do some things. I could have said no. I said yes. I did them. It's time for me to leave. I give up my breakfast. Um, I can't find my wallet. It's not to be found. So I'm starting to frantically search the, search, search the house. I don't know if you've lost your wallet, what that feels like. There's this like empty pit of despair that happens, right? And I'm getting more and more frustrated. And as I'm getting more and more frustrated, as I'm looking around, I'm, I'm <laughs> using tones, I'm talking to Rebecca in ways to where she just like pauses for a second. She's like, what's up? She's like, I feel like you're blaming me. That like somehow this is my fault some way. And I was like, yeah, I don't want to talk about it. Like, it's just not worth it. It's just not worth bringing up. Like, because I knew that I was wrong, but I didn't know how I was wrong yet. And it did feel like it was her fault because she'd asked me to do these things. And I, I was just like, why did you ask me to do these things? But I knew that I could have said no. But I did them anyway. So, anyways, find the wallet and I drive in to my meeting with Shannon. And in this meeting and in this drive, I'm just praying, God, reveal to me what is sick, what is broken. What's going on in my heart? Why am I so offended this morning? And why do I want Rebecca to be the scapegoat of my sin? Because that's what I wanted to do. I just wanted to blame the whole morning on her. It was all her fault. And really, it was none of her fault. It was my fault that I was offended, that I was really passive, that I didn't have the strength to say, no, I really can't do that right now. I need to go do this other thing. And that would have been fine. She would have been like, oh, that's fine. Great. Go, go do the thing. Like She would have been fine with it. And so I'm praying to God, and I'm just like, why am I so mad at my wife right now? Why am I so mad at her? Why? What's going on inside of me? And I feel like whenever we get so angry at someone else for whatever they did or whatever they made us do, that's a good time to hit pause and begin to ask God, God, what's wrong with me? What's going on inside of me? And by the time I got to the meeting, I called Rebecca up, and I was like, hey, I'm really sorry for this morning. You're right. I wanted to blame this morning on you. That's my fault. You deserve none of that. I was passive. I was aggressive. I was passive-aggressive. My heart was broken, and I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry that I acted that way. And she's like, thanks for saying that. Thanks for admitting so. She's like, know that you're forgiven. Know that we're good. I really want you to have a good morning. And I, like, teared up because I was humbled. And I received the grace of Rebecca and the grace of God as I confessed the wickedness of my heart and how I wanted to blame someone else for my own irresponsibility. How I wanted a scapegoat. God started to bring healing and transformation in my life that says, let's not be passive aggressive anymore. Let's just be honest, let's be real, let's be true. And there was this overwhelming sense of God's love as my wife forgave me. I'm just like, this is what God does all the time. And it's his joy and his delight and what he's accomplished for us on the cross. So that's just kind of a couple examples. You don't always have to do the prayer of examine at the end of your day for God to reveal things to you. You just have to be aware to God's voice and where he's speaking and respond. Say, God, what do you want to do? Where do you want to bring healing and transformation in my life right now? Right now I want to invite Melissa up. Uh, last prayer night, um, we had a, a couple spaces where um, you could be present with God, or you could worship God, and then there's a space of like confession with God. And this is a spot that I want to 
kind of lead us into. And it's the space of confession where God met Melissa and just really challenged her heart and encouraged her at the same time. So here you go, Melissa. Hello. Is it working? Okay. Um, so yeah, so during prayer and worship night a few weeks ago, I had a kind of a really significant moment with God, a really good conversation with God, um, where we wrestled through some tough stuff. And I just so happened to share it with Shannon, and he thought that it would be relevant today, um, and that maybe it would just be a blessing to somebody to identify with what I kind of experienced. Um, so something I really struggle with is uh, kind of bearing the weight of when I see injustice in the world. Um, most people would say that they, it, it of course <laughs> bothers them, but I think sometimes I take it like a step further. <laughs> um, like when I see economic or racial injustice, things like human trafficking in, in like extreme ways or even just like bad people getting away with doing bad things or when I see bad things happen to like truly good people, I just can't, I can't stand it. And as much as I hate to admit it, sometimes it can cause me to kind of point a finger at God and say like, why didn't you come through? Or um, where are you? Like sometimes that happens too. And um, in other words, while it's good to fight these injustices when I can, um, too much attention sometimes can cause a lot of tension in my relationship with God. And just recently, a really good friend of mine, uh, she experienced a really terrible loss. And it especially like just kind of triggered these emotions in me. And uh, I just got really mad at God. And I felt a lot of shame for that because who am I to be mad at God? Um, so anyway, so during that prayer night, God and I really just wrestled through some of that stuff. And uh, Shannon had split the prayer into three portions, um, prayers of gratitude, prayers of confession, and then prayers of request. And so during the confession portion of this prayer, I just felt really compelled by the Holy Spirit to confess that <clears throat> my hatred of these injustices and my empathy for my friend had kind of caused me to come to a point of doubting his goodness. And uh, I confessed that to him, and he began to speak to me. Um, he was speaking me speaking to me the verse in Isaiah 55, which I thought it was kind of cool that Justin actually brought this up this morning. Um, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And it was then that I kind of realized that <coughs> it's not that he allows injustice or <coughs> isn't as broken, <coughs> excuse me, um, hearted as I am. In fact, he hates it more than I ever could. What it comes down to is that his defi definition of coming through for us is very different than mine. Um, and not only that, but his timing is different than mine. And so that disconnect and understanding is what allows me to sometimes question him. Um, along with that verse, I kept hearing the words over and over and over again. I just kept hearing him say the words, teach me your ways. And it was as if he was reminding me what to pray for, that it doesn't have to stop there. It doesn't have to stop at my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. He wants to be known. And um, Finn actually spoke a word that night also, which was a reminder that the sheep know their shepherd's voice. And I just felt like those concepts went hand in hand in a really, really beautiful way. So when we were encouraged to present a request before God um, during that night of prayer, um, my prayer just kind of naturally evolved into a request that he would teach me his ways. Um, and I asked him to help me just sort of see the big picture um, and to recognize that these things that don't make sense don't change his character. Um, and the whole thing also kind of served as a reminder for me, too, that when we get to heaven and everything is made right 
and everything makes sense, it'll be really, really easy and effortless to declare his goodness there because it'll be right in front of us. But that's what makes it even more beautiful when we can declare it here is because it's based on faith, completely faith alone. Um, and I want to spend as much time as I can during my time on this earth declaring his goodness because I believe that he looks at us during these testing times and it's especially beautiful to him when we can say, even though I don't understand this, great are you, Lord. So this is probably going to be a process for me, um, for sure, but it's a really beautiful process and a beautiful journey that he's invited me into. And uh, yeah, my prayer is just that he would help open up my heart wider to better understand him. Thanks, Melissa. Yeah. Yeah. I love Melissa's story because it just shows us different ways that confession can happen. I think a lot of times we think that confession is just like I'm going to list all the terrible things that I've done. But confession is also this place of like, God, where are you? God, I don't understand. And where we invite God to examine us and to show us. I love the prayer that God didn't just leave you with my thoughts are higher, just deal with it. But he said, Search me. Come know me. Come know my ways. And there's this invitation for deep intimacy and vulnerability in relationship. And I believe that this is what the discipline of self-examine and confession is about. It's about knowing a God who loves us so much and who knows the power of Jesus Christ on a cross that can bring freedom and transformation. And like Melissa said, it's a process. Like, freedom doesn't just happen like that all the time. Transformation doesn't happen just like that all the time. Like sometimes it's a process of examination and confession and examination and confession and seeing God reveal his truth and his ways to our hearts and to begin to transform our minds. And so that's our prayer as we grow in God's grace, to know that his reflection and the examination in our life is an invitation to know him and that confession is an opportunity to be known by him and to know his love and to know his grace. And so I'm going to have the worship team come on up, and we're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate that God has given himself. And we're going to celebrate by taking communion, and we're going to remember the sacrifice that Jesus gave through his blood and through his body broken so that we might be known and so that we might be healed. Because without the cross, there's nothing. Without the cross, there's just condemnation and brokenness, and we have no business being here together. But because of Jesus, and the gift that he's given us through his life and through his sacrifice on the cross. There is forgiveness, there is freedom, there is healing, and there is a God who loves you and sees you. And that is good news this morning. Amen.